Let's read Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit and shut it, and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulphur where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20 marks a significant transition in the book of Revelation. Up to and including chapter 20, there's a place and a story for everyone, whether they be good or evil. We hear the story of the people of God, that is the disciples of Jesus Christ, and we hear the story about those who reject Jesus. Uh, we've heard the story of the spiritual battle and, and what lies behind the physical events that's unfolding in our world and so Satan and his demons have had a story. Our holy God and his holy angels have a story. Jesus Christ has a story. In fact, it is his story. He is central to the story. But with the end of chapter 20, it all becomes very one-sided. Uh, not everybody has a story anymore. There is no heaven, for heaven has come to earth. There is no good and evil, for evil has been judged and destroyed. There is no death because death has been destroyed. 
And we don't hear about the faithless anymore. That they're nowhere to be found. Where have the faithless gone? Hmm, we'll find that shortly. From the end of chapter 20 on, the story changes and it becomes the story of eternity. Uh, the story of God with his faithful children in glory. Heaven has come to earth and God dwells with, the, with his faithful children on a renewed earth. And the thing is, most people in our world today are under the illusion that their story with God is a story that's going to continue. That they are under the impression that there's always going to be another chance, that there's always going to be more hope for them, there's always going to be another opportunity. And I've found that even those who are not Christians, um, those who have paid God no attention for their whole lives, expect that at their funeral their loved ones can take hope in the perception that they're going to be in paradise with Jesus. They expect that their story is going to continue on into glory. But the fact of the matter is, there is no place for them in God's story after chapter 20. And so chapter 20 of Revelation is a hugely significant chapter. Chapter 20 marks the point in human history where God deals finally and decisively with his enemies. And it's the point where we're forced to understand that the faithless are God's enemies. It's all very black and white. In this world, there are two camps. One is a seemingly insignificant and vulnerable little minority represented as the camp of the saints of God and the beloved city. Now, the beloved city, that's a phrase meaning Jerusalem, and so the camp of the saints and the beloved city represents the people of God. That, that's one camp. And the other camp is a massive camp. It's an enormous group. It's described as being more than the sands of the sea. It's all of the nations of the world gathered from the ends of the earth. Do you sometimes feel that as a Christian you might be in the minority? Well, you are. You are. A couple of weeks ago, we began looking at this chapter 20. And we talked about this thing known as the millennium. Up until now, Satan has been bound. His power is limited. Satan only has the power that God allows him to have. But for a short period at the end of history, Satan is going to be released to do his worst. And what's the worst that Satan can do? I reckon that he can, the worst that he can do is to get people to act on what's already in their hearts. He gathers the nations of the world to make war on the children of God. And if you don't believe the nations of the world would ever go to war against the children of God, well, you haven't been paying attention. Uh, you haven't been paying attention to the intolerance and the insults and the venom and the attacks that the Yes campaign have been putting on, on those in the no side in the current same-sex marriage debate. If you don't believe that nations of the world could ever go to war against the children of God, well, you haven't been paying attention to the, to the atrocities of ISIS or the Islamic jihadists all over the world. And nor have you been paying attention to history 
and how Marxism has warred against Christians in many nations of the world for over a century. Even in our own society, there is a deep-seated loathing of God's faithful children. Uh, I'm not a very good salesman for Christianity, am I? Here I am, I'm telling you, become a Christian and give your life to Jesus and the whole world will hate you. Who could say no to that offer? Hey, what a great offer that is. Some Christians are under a very false impression that somehow the world will respect us a little bit more and acknowledge our goodness because, hey, we're the church. We're God's representatives here on earth. Some people are under the impression that it's only those religious wackos who are hated. Not so. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. In the ACT this very week, 18-year-old Madeline discovered just how much she was going to be hated for being a disciple of Jesus. Uh, this week, this 18-year-old lass um, was sacked because she let it be known that she is going to vote no in the same-sex marriage survey because she is a Christian. But I reckon probably even more hurtful to her would have been the fact that just by simply saying that I'm voting no, she was accused of hate speech, she is accused of being a bigot, she was told that she wasn't a safe person to have working with children in case she put her views onto the children. Now my point is, this shouldn't be a surprise for us. We shouldn't be expecting people to like us. We shouldn't be expecting people to agree with us. Jesus told us that the world will hate us because of him. Even in our own society, there is a deep-seated loathing of God. A loathing of God's law, a loathing of God's faithful children, a loathing of God's authority. And I believe when Satan is released, he'll exploit this deep-seated loathing of God and gather the nations of the world to war against Christians wherever they are. We're told that he will deceive them. How do you think Satan will deceive the nations and get them to go to war against Christians? I think Satan will deceive godless humanity by convincing them that they're on the right side and that they're on the winning side. And this, when the world will come to war against Christians, is the point in history where God will act. And God will deal finally and decisively with his enemies. We're told that the devil and his minions are thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur and that they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Uh, that's the image that we have here of hell. It's not very fashionable to talk about hell these days. Um, the only time you see talk of hell is where it's some kind of comical cartoon or a joke. Um, but I have to talk about hell today and, oh, it's one of those preachers, hey? Um, I'm, I'm glad to see there's no new people here today. So I think, oh, that sort of preacher, always talking about hell. Actually, no, I'm sad. There's no new people here today, folk. What's going on? Nobody wants to hear about hell. They, they want us to stay positive 
and talk about nice stuff. Isn't there enough nice stuff in the Bible? You can just talk about the nice stuff and why do you have to talk about that hell stuff? But you see, this is one of the advantages of working our way through whole books of the Bible. We only cover stuff as often as what God wants to bring it up. And so for me today, it's very important that I talk about hell. I must talk about hell. It's imperative that I talk about hell. Well, you know, you know hell is fine if it's the place where the devil and antichrist and the false prophet are sent. Hell's actually pretty good if it's a place where death and Hades, Hades is the land of the dead, um, are sent. And maybe we might even feel that hell's a really good place for murderers, genocidal despots and child molesters to be thrown. But we still don't like to talk about hell. Because if we were to talk about hell, we have to face up to what the Bible teaches us about hell. And that is that hell is a place of eternal torment and hell will be populated by those who no, whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation chapter 20 tells us about the day of judgment. It's the day that Jesus spoke about when he talked about the separating of the sheep and the goats. He told us about it again with the separating of the wheat and the tares and the burning up of the tares. And yet, yet again, he talked about the separating of the good fish and the bad fish. And he said, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, on the day of judgment, there is going to be this great separation, a great sorting out, a great division between those who enter God's eternal glory and those who do not. When I hear about this sorting out, I always think of drafting sheep. Right? We always go back to our roots, and, and my roots was growing up on the farm and working on the farm and, and the sheep there. And, and, of course, when you're drafting the sheep up, you, they're all been running together all together in one mob, but then it comes time to sort them out. And so you draft one lot, they're the good ones, they head off into one yard, and from there they're going to go out and get, go into a new fresh paddock. But the culls get drafted off into another yard, and they're going to get loaded onto the truck and off to the meatworks. There's going to be this great division, this great sorting out, it is very important that today I talk about judgment and talk about this great sorting out. Let me give you an illustration of why it's important that we hear about this and understanding the warning, even though it's not a popular topic. In Australia today, we have what's being termed as a first world problem Health authorities are becoming increasingly concerned that our child immunisation rates are dropping in our community. Um, in fact, the immunisation rates of children in some districts, uh, mainly the wealthier suburbs, by the way, are dropping well below a level that will assure a herd immunity. And what that means is some children are too young to yet be immunised. If at least 95% of the population are immunised, then the population at large is not infectious. Therefore, children are pretty safe until they are old enough to get immunised themselves. But today, 
most new parents have no experience of first-hand knowledge of diseases, which not so long ago were so prevalent in our society and so debilitating and so deadly to our children. Polio, diphtheria, whooping cough, tetanus, just to name a few. Diseases that not so long ago were killing our children. But these diseases have become so well controlled by our immunisation programs that to some people it's just not important anymore. They just don't know about these diseases anymore. They just don't know how bad they are anymore. The ideology of, oh, I'm not going to put anything unnatural in my child's body, uh, wins over reason. In some quarters, there has materialised a negligent disregard, an apathetic complacency because they don't believe that these diseases pose a real risk to their child. And they're too selfish to think of what, what risk that may cause to other children who are too young to yet be immunised. Now, in Australia this week, a, a doctor wrote a letter to the editor and he said this. I think he might be an older fellow, but in his younger years, he said, as a younger doctor, I would come across parents who declined vaccination for their children on the grounds that we don't see these diseases anymore. One of my techniques to counteract this belief was to ask the parent to ask her grandmother to name someone she knew who had died of polio. It worked. And it worked, you see, because our grandmothers, probably our great-grandmothers, all knew someone who had died from polio. It was so common. And he went on to say, this generation has failed to heed the lessons of history. Now, the point that I'm making is just as apathy regarding immunisation exists because of ignorance of the awful reality of these diseases, apathy regarding our response to God exists because of our ignorance of the awful reality of hell, judgment, and the great division that's going to occur on judgment day. You know the gospel means good news, hey? Do you know why the gospel is such good news? The gospel is such good news because the gospel gives to us the path to life. The gospel is that when we put our faith in Jesus and when we follow Jesus, we get drafted to glory and we escape hell. So what does judgment look like? Verse 11. Then I saw a great, great white throne and him who is seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. Right, right, you're getting this picture here? Great and small were standing before the throne. Nobody is too high and mighty. No one is too lowly to escape this day. Every single person who has ever lived right throughout history will be there this day. And the, dead, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. On the day of judgment, a great heap of books are going to be opened. One for each of us, containing all of the deeds that we've ever done, 
Imagine that. Imagine if everything that you've ever done was going to be revealed. I don't know if it's a picture book or whether it's just a, a writing book. I don't know. But I think what, what we've got to see here is everybody is going to hear about what you've done. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going to be ashamed. I'm going to be deeply ashamed. I would be deeply ashamed for you to know everything that I've done. And God would be quite justified in his judgment to go, Michael, oh, this will be an interesting book. Ooh. Well, that's unfortunate. Off you go to hell. God would be quite justified to do that. And so I thank God for the other book that's going to be open on that day. The Lamb's Book of Life. Anyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be thrown into the lake of fire. And we know that the lake of fire is an image for hell. It's a place of eternal torment. And if your name is not in the Lamb's book of life, then that's exactly where you're going to go. And so it's pretty important for one's name to be in the book of life, don't you think? Do you think that's pretty important? Yeah. If your name is in that book then you get to move on to chapters 21 and chapter 22. Your story will continue with Jesus Christ in his glorious eternity. But if on judgment day your name is not found in that book, then you'll be thrown into the lake of fire. There couldn't be any greater division. All will be raised. Every single person will be raised from the dead. Some will be drafted off to eternal life. The rest will be drafted off to hell. That's the warning. And it's important for us to hear that warning. It's extremely important for us to hear that warning. Right. So how do I get my name into the book of life? That's the important question. Well, it's simple. There is only one way. Be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. That's it. I can't be any plainer than that. It means to have faith in Jesus, believe in Jesus, follow Jesus. That's it. In life, some will be tempted to fall away from following Jesus. But if there's one thing that the book of Revelation makes very clear... It's that when we stay faithful to Jesus, our name won't be rubbed out of the book of life. So it's not rocket science. To be drafted into the good gate, be a faithful disciple of Jesus. Make Jesus the priority of your life. Make him the Lord of your life. And that's how our name gets into the book of life. Guaranteed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. I thank you that you are a loving God. I thank you, Lord, that by your nature, you're a saving God. And so, Lord, I want to thank you for the, for the Lamb's Book of Life, this book which 
has the names of all those who are faithful disciples of Jesus written in it. Lord, you've been sending out invitations out into the world to come to the banquet. You've been sending out invitations into the world to, to, to follow Jesus and to love you. And so, Lord, I want to thank you for the guest list that all those who respond and faithfully follow you will have their names written in that book. And, Lord God, I just pray for every single person here today. Lord, I, I pray that anyone here who is not sure if their name is written in that book, Lord, I ask that you would just give them the, the conviction to fall on their knees and seek you, to give their hearts fully and completely to you, to follow you all the days of their life. And Lord, I want to give you thanks for, for these last couple of chapters that's coming in Revelation as we get to see and witness the glory of you with your children in the new heavens and the new earth. And Lord, we don't just look forward to hearing about it as we read your word. We look forward to the day when you return. But Lord, I pray that until that time, that you would fill our hearts with love and compassion for those who are not yet your children. Lord, that you would give us a heart to share with, with everyone who we come across the good news of Jesus, the saving grace of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.